welcome to Tea Time with Monica. Are you ready to spill some tea? Hello, loves. Welcome to Tea Time with Monica. We are sipping tea today with Dr. Thurman Webb Jr. about his nonprofit organization, Rebrand the Black Man an organization geared toward changing the narrative about black men in America and the global community. Now, let me give you all a little info about Dr. Webb. He is an associate professor of psychology at Tennessee State University, where he received his BS in psychology and MS in counseling psychology. Dr. Webb is both a licensed professional school counselor and a licensed professional counselor. He is the founder of Rebrand the Black Man, as well as the founder and CEO of Centered Person Consulting. Welcome, Dr. Webb. Hey, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for coming on. Well, I'd like to begin with a quote by Angela Davis. I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. How does this quote speak to your work? Wow, that's, that's powerful. And, and Angela Davis is definitely a, a figure that, uh, you know, I study and I pattern some things after. But Rebranded Black Man is built on that exact premise. Um, no longer am I, are we allowing others to establish uh, what we deem to be acceptable. Uh, right. we, are, we are trying to force this path and, and cut our way through so that we are represented at the table and not only just at that table, but that we start to build our own tables also, you know, um, you know, rebrand a black man is definitely about not just making a choice, but creating choices. Right. That's truly where the power lies, like in creating a choice. And of course, this, you know, rebrand started in 2014, started on Instagram and it mm -hmm. grew from there. Uh, now we're represented in roughly uh, five or six countries. Last time I checked. That's amazing. Uh, so people have, have taken to the message and wanting to be an ambassador for this movement. That is amazing. I can see why people want to be an ambassador in different areas worldwide because the notion of the black man, I mean, just in American society, but also in other countries is just, it's, almost, it's similar. Yeah. And it's sad at the same it, time. Correct. Similar and sad. Correct. Yeah. You know, um, too often it's like uh, the, the black experience, especially, especially the black male experience is monolithic, right? And it's really mm -hmm. not in the grand scheme of things. However, the, the oppression and the discrimination is what brings it back to mm -hmm. this similar point. Yeah. So no matter where you go in the globe based on the color of your skin, we could all come together based on this form of uh, oppression or discrimination and, and have a common conversation centered around that. And that is, like you said, that's unfortunate. It um, is. But black men in particular, we represent a collage of life and a collage of experiences. And we have constantly contributed to the makeup of the world we still are contributing to the makeup of the world mm -hmm. and you know working with so many uh young men and mentoring guys who never had a notion to be a doctor and to watch them walk across the stage with phds and so forth so on uh we have great plans to continue in the future to change the world also yeah so let's backtrack a little bit what made you choose psychology as a profession 
Um, actually, yeah. So I was working, uh, I was doing business management and community relations prior to getting into the field of psychology. Uh, my godbrother mm -hmm. at the time, he was drafted to the NBA. And so, I, of course, you know, it's like, oh, I can't play the game as well as him, so I can be around it this way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, the common theme in doing that, whether I was in Chicago or San Antonio or Indianapolis, I kept running into young males who we would just start having this conversation. And I would realize, like, man, nobody ever sat down and validated your narrative. Like, nobody just validated that your experience was a lived experience and it had some value in it. And that led me back to, you know, what kind of trajectory were these young men on and who helped them? And they were like, well, my, my counselor, my school counselor was supposed to, but I didn't talk to them because they didn't look like me. Mm -hmm. Then I started thinking about my own when I was in high school. And while he was a great counselor, he was a, 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 a white male who was uh, gay. Uh, but he was completely cool but you know I just couldn't relate to that so I didn't talk to him much mm -hmm. and I was like you know what maybe let me go back and try to be the thing that I felt would have helped me uh, transition a little bit better and so I went back to school for counseling uh, specifically school counseling and I jumped into that and then it branched out into private practice uh, getting the LPC so forth so on yeah, so you found your purpose in trying to do other things well, yeah, I, I like to say I found my purpose before that. And uh, it's one thing that I teach all my mentees that um, your job doesn't determine your purpose. It just kind of plays a factor in how you go go about carrying out your purpose. Right. And so um, I, I found out that I was actually counseling a lot prior to even getting into the field of counseling. You know, mm -hmm. people are like, oh, you're just easy to talk to. Or, Man, ain't nobody ever told me that shit before, man. I like the way you put it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, you know, I'm drinking this Hennessy, so yeah, this is how we rocking. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get you us some whiskey. I don't know about the Hennessy stuff, but okay. <laughs> no, that was then. That was then. <laughs> okay, okay. You done graduated. You graduated. McAllen 12, McAllen 25 now. So All right, you done graduated. You in Tennessee, you got Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey. Ah, that's old news. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Nearest, I'm just saying. I got it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I was kind of like predisposed to be in this space and have these conversations. And, uh, you know, even to this day, I, I, you know, for me and the people I know, I prefer more black males to therapy uh, yeah. than anybody I know. And they, they said it's, it's been a game changer. Speaking of, you know, putting black men in therapy, like how do we break that generational curse about, uh, you know, how black men feel about therapy? Yeah, because um, you know women we're all getting into therapy and black women and it's it's it was faux pas for so many years in the black community about being in therapy and going to a therapist yeah so it's getting more common for women but i'm just starting to see men saying i need a therapist so how are you dealing with that yeah you know um first of all you know like i men have not always been as trusting of this space and mm -hmm. rightfully so you know right. the most uh prominent example you know people always refer to as the tuskegee airmen and the whole syphilis study so forth so on yeah but there are a collage of examples in the medical space that um have supported this idea that i should not be as trusting in this space as i should for people of color mm -hmm. and specifically african-american males um now having that coupled with the the, the cost to interact with that space has definitely um, 
created a, a downslide or down uh, slope with regards to the number of males who access this space. Mm-hmm. But I explained to them that Big Mama can no longer carry the weight of the trauma that resides in your DNA and your lived experience. Mm. Like she deserves a life as well. And so, um, you know, to start dialoguing based on that motivation and with the understanding that uh, there are nuances in the black male experience that only another black male can truly help you decipher. Mm-hmm. And being a representation of that space has really encouraged me to say, all right, man, well, you're pretty cool. Let me take a look at that. Yeah. And that's also been based on the, the idea that I, I have a, a book of what I call very, very effective referrals of black male counselors who I know will do the same. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and we need more. We need more representation out there in this field. Uh, and so, like, that has been a huge, huge game changer because men are coming out of that with this uh, high self-reflective awareness. Mm-hmm. So they're able to look back over past experiences, whether it be with female or with their mother or yeah. with their father. Yeah. And they're able to kind of decipher that and come to some sort of understanding and using that understanding to inform the practice in the present, which improves the, the future, you know, which is Sankofa. Yeah. Well, I, I have this question because I heard a psychologist say um, at a conference one time, I think I was at, actually, I think I was at Congressional Black Caucus, Caucus Legislative Week. And yeah. she said something to the effect of America is not ready to deal with the PTSD that black men suffer from growing up in this society. What are your thoughts on that after everything you just said? Uh, uh, she She's exactly, I think America's as ready as it's gonna get. Mm-hmm. And I think that they their, their mold for dealing with it plays out with George Floyd. Uh, you, I was gonna get out. to how to have those issues of, <laughs> of the murders. And I'm looking, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. Slow down a little bit. We gonna get to that. We gonna get to that. But I, I think she's exactly right. You know, and it's not because it's not because America doesn't have the tools to deal with it. America doesn't want to use the tools to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if it could have been changed, it would have been changed before now. Right you know, we, we we have mile markers throughout history that have been asking for the exact same thing. So much so that they've used the exact same verbiage. And they said, okay, if you, America has said, if you want this change, then I need y'all to do this. I need you to vote and I need you to do it this way and change will happen, right? But if America recognizes that change needs to happen, then I shouldn't have to wait until I do that. And if I've been practicing that means to change it and it still hasn't changed, then that means you're not interested in changing it anyway. Right? So America doesn't want that to be the case. Mm-hmm. But we can't say that too boldly because America's quickly to stamp us as a militant movement. And we become this angry black man, this angry black woman, and then that oh, dilutes our narrative. I hate those labels. Yeah. When yeah, I stand I up for myself, I'm an angry black woman. When you stand up for yourself, you're an angry black man. Like, what is that? I, I, what on, it, Solange, like, Solange, I think in one of her songs, she said, I have a right to be angry. Yeah. Do you see everything that my people have been through? Do you see what I'm still going through? We Make have a angry. right to be angry. Correct. But it's how Change. we address it, right? Right. Change places with me. Right? Yeah. They won't do that. And if you won't do that, then that's a clear indicator that you know what's going on too. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, they love our culture. They, they love, love our us music. as much as I love our culture, we'd be all right. Oh, they don't. Child, fool. 
let's not get on that because that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, it, I mean, we can touch on it because it, it's so true and it resonates with something you were just starting to mention, like the recent, you know, issues of murders of unarmed black men and women like Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you uh, mentioned, like, and unfortunately, so many others. So many. So, uh, them the, I mean, them the ones we know about. Right. That's what I was going to say. Those are the, the people that we're hearing about now is who we know about. This has been going Correct. on for too long. So how does that play into the work you do about rebranding the black man and trying to help black men with mental health? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the rebranding is really a showcase of us in our entirety. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, so much of media only shows this version of the black man, this small version, this narrow keyhole. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that works in conjunction um, to dehumanize what I represent and dehumanize me. No, no other way can you literally stand on my neck with your knee unless you see me less than anything than a human. Exactly. Right? And so there's a constant campaign to dehumanize me and what I represent. Mm-hmm. Throughout nature, if a, if a lion or a, a wolf stands in front of its cubs and gets aggressive against anything that's trying to attack it, we applaud that. And you applaud it in other places, but when the black male decides he wants to do that for his family, then he becomes uh, that thug or that 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 mutation in society's Child, civilized thug. way of thinking. That word thug is used so wrong. I remember when who was it when Richard Sherman made comments on football season yeah. a few years back and they called him a thug and we're like oh so thugs graduate from college and have these yeah, wonderful yeah, yeah. It's like thugs graduate from there really i mean those those type of things it's just like when we do anything they shed everything else about us yeah yeah and and it, was... it takes one time one and one. we are the worst people on earth yeah i was in a conversation earlier today and the narrative made it seem like uh, this is part of of being a black man. It, and well, it, is it, it supposed to be okay? It, yeah, right, right, exactly, right. <laughs> but these, but what we have to be mindful of is that um, some of the narratives out there and the rhetoric out there uh, makes it seem as if, if this, these things are specific or exclusive to me as a black man. When these things are really exclusive to any human being that's been put through these conditions, right. that's it. So if I take a white man and put him through the conditions that I've been through, he's going to come out the same way. If I take an Asian man and put him through these conditions, he's going to come out the same way. Which means like this is, but too often the the, uh, the the narrative in media, mainstream media, is that this is a part of my, my characteristic or my DNA. But when the white man does it, then there must be something wrong with him. Oh, oh I'm right? sorry. So yeah, he he needs he's help. got a mental issue. He needs that- help. He needs right. help. He, he's got a mental issue, but because, you know, they want to bring out all the, I read something the other day and it was saying like, when a, a black man kills somebody, we talk about all the bad things that that person right. has done in the past. When a black, right. or, you know, man or woman is, is killed, murdered by police or, you know, have violence against them. When it ha- when, when it's a white man, oh, what could he be? The good that he's all done and, uh, uh you know, he, right. he's a stand up, sit, Stand up, what? Right. 
He he walks in and shoots up a classroom of kids. A church. And and a church. And I can't wait to give him his diagnosis. Right, but if I if I stand up in, in front of uh, uh, the face of an oppressive force and I use aggression, then I'm the monster. We're the only people that's gotta uh, defend our own murder. Like how that's supposed to work? Yeah, it doesn't work well. I mean, at all. And you spoke a, a little bit about the media and how they portray us. Have you? What are your thoughts about the black men and women that have won Oscars? and the roles that they play to win those Oscars. I mean, Denzel, a criminal cop. I mean, Halle Berry, an adulterous woman. Lupita is a slave. Like how, like, are we only awarded for the bad things that you think we can do? Uh, Yeah, well, we we are awarded for the things that fit what they want to think about us anyway. Mm-hmm. Right, because they they want to recognize, they, they have a tendency to recognize the things those things because they're familiar with that mm-hmm. so and, and anybody's like that right if you go if you decide that you want to buy a car a red car what happens you start seeing red cars everywhere yeah right it's, they're the same way if they if they decide that when i see a black person if i see a black woman she must have an attitude issue and if i get in confrontation with her She's probably gonna do her hand like this, right? So let me uh, let, let me be familiar with her or let her know that I'm safe. So when I talk to her, I'm gonna use my hand gestures too, even though I don't talk like that, right? But mm-hmm. I want you to know that I speak that language too. And you're mm-hmm. looking at them like, well, hold up. I speak multiple dialects. Yes. I speak DC, I speak <laughs> South Side of Chicago, I speak West Coast LA, like I speak multiple dialects. Okay. Like, so for you to pretend as if you're one of me, like that creates the problem. And what media does, what we know through research, is that when mainstream America uh, wants to know more about you, Monica, instead of asking you, they'll go to the TV and they'll look for an image that looks like you. Mm-hmm. And then they'll associate that image with you. Well, what we know about TV is that they are only showing a very small percentage of what it means to be a black woman. Right. But unfortunately, the black woman that they show has an attitude problem. And she feels like that she needs to address conflict through throwing a drink on the other girl or slinging a, a, a glass across the room. And she never sits down with the Monica who knows how to have a productive conversation and agree to disagree. Yeah. Amen. And that becomes the problem. You just spoke a whole uh, sermon right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, so thinking about how, you know, like I said, the media and going on to thinking about how black gays or black gay men or black gay women, like, mm-hmm. you know, June is, is the month of pride. So yeah. when you're dealing with mental health of anyone in the black LGBTQ community, how do, how do you deal with that? How society portrays them and what issues they may have from their families and coming right. out? You know, it's funny because uh, my, my research team, uh, we preliminarily dove into this and I've had students in the past. Um, th- there's this uh, there's this feeling that because uh, a, a minority or a marginalized member of African-Americans in the LBG, LBGTQ community, that they have that set of discrimination and they don't have the racial aspect. They just have the sexual aspect, right? Mm-hmm. When there's a racial aspect within the LBGT community also. Oh, preach on right? it. 
So, and also the research suggested that when we look at African-American men who are members of that community, that mainstream America has a tendency to see them as sexually deviant as opposed to if they looked at two white males that are members of that community, which means that they, they get this image cast upon them like they're just engaged in all this erotic, you know, wild and, and mm-hmm. very, you know, promiscuous sex life. But the, the, the white males who are involved in that community uh, have a tendency or predisposition to be seen as wholesome and very family oriented and they can adopt the kids. Mm. When at the core, when we look at the research, the two African-American males are more likely than any other ethnic group to be adoptive parents, especially when they are members of their own family who need a home. Right. Which means that research suggests that, no, the African-American male is more likely to be the wholesome family structure that's needed. And so, like, you know, we, we look at all of those, you know, people ask me all the time about rebrand a black man. And yes, we do ce- celebrate masculinity. And that is not a problem because we define what masculinity is. And masculinity has never been bad. Right. right. It's the varying definitions that people attach to masculinity that creates the problem. And masculinity is not just about being heterosexual, right? I personally, I love James Baldwin and his expression about homosexuality. He said, it's a verb, it's not a noun, right? And he lived his life in that position. Mm -hmm. And so he's able to speak truth to power. He's able to exist as a gay man in that time period and he's able to be comfortable with that and still bring about progressive change why the heck can't he be part of this movement so yeah we are not we we don't we're not uh we don't exclude anybody we're inclusive in nature but we just celebrate the black man comprehensively i like that because you're right it is what we attach to something Mm -hmm. it's what we we are we're trained to believe and it's Correct. almost like you're trying to untrain us. So we see the right. full spectrum. Right. Correct. Correct. Even like, even with, uh, you know, Charlemagne and the Joe Biden comment, you know, I find issue with somebody outside of that telling me that I should be offended about what was said. I can decide that on my own, especially as a member of this community. I'm not offended, but okay. Yeah, I know who Joe was saying. <laughs> let, let me... <laughs> Exactly. I get that it was, it, for some people, it was sensitive. It may have been offensive to you. To I me, I know Joe Biden and I know that mouth. And I know. I offended. I, I'm not offended. I, I am a. Sips tea. That's where I <laughs> sip the tea. Because I wasn't offended. I was like, shall I preach? Because they're my beliefs. But uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that it's my belief. But I, I got questions about, you know what? I have questions about people who support an administration like this with a person like that at what they call the helm of it. Right. Um, actually, that, that leads me to a question. So I'm, I'm going to say okay. how you feel about that with this question. Okay. Do you think the Obama presidency had any effect on rebranding the black man? Yes. How so? Um, yeah, keep in mind, you know, with, we've had an extension of Obama's initiative, uh, my brother's keeper here in Nashville that we've been a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I say that because it, it's twofold for me. What he represented when he was in office mm-hmm. was definitely the preamble to what we have now. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And um, while he had plans to do a lot more than he did when he was in office, the same forces that we're feeling now, he felt in that arena trying to accomplish some things. Now, did he get it all right? No, he didn't. But nobody does. No, they it, don't. You know, you know, nobody does. That is the nature of that job. It is not a singularity. Um, and, and he has, he has a, he has a humanizing disposition, mm-hmm. right? He is a human being with beingness and spiritedness. He is not an individual that represents mankind, which is man-like. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's what we have in there now. So he was facing trying to make decisions while maintaining his human beingness, which is very hard to do. It is. Right? And that's why that position is one of the toughest positions to occupy in the entire world. I get it. But when we mishandle that position, much like mankind is doing it right now, based on on self-centeredness, then it becomes very problematic, right? But... Obama was the preamble to what is happening now. And and but I, I appreciate that because it allowed me time to establish my own movement that could hopefully pour into other movements to to create change. Right. So you, you spoke a little bit about what's going on with this current administration. Do you feel like it is trying to undo that rebranding that Obama did for us, you know, with the black man, like yeah. it's trying to totally dismantle everything. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it, 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 they're doing it. They are. It, you know, uh, from education to, to to defense policy to uh, disease control, they're doing it. They're dismantling all of those things that serve to be uh, offices that provided indicators before a catastrophe happened. And um, they're unapologetic about it. Very much so. Right. However, when I when I step into that space unapologetically black, they kill me. So, but we have to continue to do that. And we have to continue to do that in numbers. Um, and, and that, you know, I, I, I know black men, I talk to them all the time. They're like, well, man, I ain't voting. You know, I can't fool with that. I'm, or, I don't want to vote for Biden. I said, okay, cool. Well, think about every vote for him is a vote against the current administration so how about you go in there and vote against the current administration right. okay what you got to do to change your mindset now, i ain't saying that's the only thing we're going to do but voting is part of that's a start correct it is it is correct. a start i um i my nine to five i work in the political arena and i just don't believe in not voting because i believe you so many of our black men and women died for us to have this right to continue right. the fight that we need to continue because I mean we do have to live in this society so we have to fight it from every angle. Correct. Correct. And um you know for us it, it like you said it's about voting but there are smaller things that we could be doing in our community to empower our vote. Mm-hmm. And 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 I you know we need to step that up. You know I think the black churches are really doing a disservice as a collective in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um you know to, to have as much money passed through our hands and our religious space and not have that reflected in schools to educate us and so forth and so on is a huge disservice. And, uh, you know, I, I think that falls at the, the feet of a lot of our religious leaders, not all of them, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's enough that it warrants being said, let's say that. 
Yeah, you're right. But what do you say to those religious leaders that do that are African American that support this current administration for various reasons? For capitalistic reasons, for <laughs> uh, uh, or just to show master that you are good, you doing a good job. Well, no, some of them have said that it's because of their religious beliefs. You know, with this administration being against things like abortion or, or things that that are morally wrong to their faith, but they aren't True. thinking about what's morally wrong about what they're doing when it comes to the black community. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Keep in mind, I'm in Tennessee, so I know what a Southern Evangelical Oh, I know, that's why like. I'm asking. <laughs> right, right, I know what a Southern Evangelical looks like. And yes. uh, I've, I've had uh, accounts throughout my own lineage from great grandfathers and so forth that had Southern Evangelicals preach at the lynching. So I'm not confused. The same Bible that liberates us is is, is also the same Bible they used to enslave us. Mm -hmm. So the interpretation is 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 always been in question when we talk about Southern evangelicals, and that's what he hangs his hat on. I'm not a religious person. I'm more of a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to have my own experience, and I'm not trying to base it off your experience. And I think uh, that's what re the religion, especially for Southern evangelicals, as I interpret. It. You know, it's constantly, okay, they're looking to tell me what, what is our next move, right? And I, I don't think we operate. It goes back to your Angela Davis quote. I'm not looking for you to tell me. I'm looking at that and saying, hey, I'm about to change that. Right. By any means necessary. Exactly. Um, now, how do you feel, though, that, that, you know, our history with religion and the Black community plays so much on our mental health? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we got to touch that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like uh, science and research uh, suggests that, you know, prayer and meditation physiologically it reduces our stress. Uh, it has also served as a space, a cathartic space mm -hmm. for us to let those things out. You know, if you hold your breath long enough and that carbon dioxide builds up, it's going to kill you. Right? right. So even that has to come out and your emotions are the same way. But, uh, you know, historically, as a black people, we've used the blues. To, as a cathartic space to get it out we used uh, the gallows a humor to do mm -hmm. that the, we had to laugh to keep from crying swing low swing chariot uh you know all of these places served as a cathartic place because we could not go anywhere and lay down on the couch and, and talk about the woes especially with the person who was imposing the woes on us right so religion has played a part in our mental health the problem is is that um it it, it has a tendency to to not want to play well with others uh, when we when we look at it as a religious space right. solely, and not just a religious space that supports our spiritual connection. And and so that that has caused rebrand a black man to actually go on uh, a, a mini tour to churches mm -hmm. to talk about how mental health counseling and things of that nature can actually complement. Uh, the religious space, the spiritual space, like they can work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I get praying about it. And yeah, prayer does change things. But prayer needs to be in conjunction with actually doing some, having, doing the work and putting effort towards making the change. And that's okay. Right. The Bible says that, you know, prayer without works is dead. So let's yeah. put the two together. Let's use the tool that we have. Like I said, Big Mama's tired. <laughs> She's she exhausted. <laughs> you know, she can't continue to, to have you come down, sit at the table, cook for you, and then work out all of that mess because the problems get more complex as we evolve. And she gets further removed from that. 
Because Big Mama used to be 50 and 60. Now Big Mama is 30. Yeah. She ain't lived enough to have a good experience to provide that wisdom. You know, and so there's other things that we have to do, other tools we have to use. Some, a lot of the churches we go to, they've been very responsive in this space. Let me be honest about that. Mm-hmm. But there are there are some who are Bible thumping, prayers all I need. Even Bible if I'm looking at schizo- <laughs> <laughs> even if I'm looking at schizophrenia dead in the face, that's a demon, and I'm gonna pray it out of you. You know, like come on, we 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 evolve, we acquire new knowledge, and we, we got to do better. Well, let's see, um, I'm a black Catholic, so that's a whole nother set of. <laughs> But I will say you're right that they go hand in hand because I'm in therapy for like the umpteenth time. And every therapist that I have gone to when we're doing intake, one of the questions they always ask are, what is your faith? What do you believe in? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they they try to make it, you know, go hand in hand as we go through the process. So it, it does go hand in hand. I think the point I was trying to make is what you said also that there are some churches who are not receptive to the mental health and how right. that plays a negative part on trying to help black men, you know, think because one of the things that, you know, like you said, our elders sometimes told us was you need to get in the church. You need to pray about it. Right. And instead of saying you need to get a church and you need to find somebody to talk to. Correct. Correct. And then what we're saying to rebrand a black man, the churches is, Yo, y'all are the first line of defense when it comes to these type of issues. And so, yeah, get the deacons, have a, you know, as a pastor, pray with your members, you know, get in that spiritual space, be mm-hmm. another uh, another uh, asset to this fight. But also, when you're done reading the Bible, providing the scripture and doing the prayer, pass along this pamphlet with resources, mental health resources that you mm-hmm. can refer out to that you know are complimentary and friendly to the religious practice and then allow those individuals to blend their tools with that also but mm-hmm. you know in some churches the pastor wants to be the end all be all which we know what that is about and then other churches have been saying okay that's a good deal you know we'll set up a referral practice and so we've been able to refer or get referrals from churches and, and blend them into a more uh, mental health centered space not just a church space Mm-hmm. But that it also complements, uh, you know, the, the way they like to serve or, you know, connect to a higher power. Yeah, I like that because it does need to be blended. You need resources from everywhere. I yeah, don't think sure. uh, if you're religious, if you believe in God or what, a higher power, I don't think we just have one way of thinking. Exactly. I, I don't think that um, there I think that there are many tools here for us to be helped. Yeah. You know, and we have to use all of our resources to get the help we need and be a better person and be our higher selves. So I'm glad that you all are doing that work. Here's another thing I want to talk about, because June is also the month of Father's Day. Black fathers and how they're portrayed in society. Um, Don't shake your head. Let's let's, (laughs) y'all listening. He is shaking his head because it's like a whole lot of information is downloaded. He just about to spit at us. So your take on it and how you're changing that narrative. Um, and keep in mind, you know, I'm, I'm a researcher at my core. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, that's, there's this narrative out there about the absence of black fathers in the home. And, uh, yeah, there is an absence. There are a litany of reasons. There are a lot of variables that play into that absence. 
Mm-hmm. But let's keep in mind that absence is not what makes it problematic. It is the lack of engagement. And because the lack of engagement kind of deter- or the, the, the level of engagement determines the quality of the relationship between the father and the rest of the family. And so there are things that have interfered with that throughout America's history. Mm-hmm. And all of those things don't fall at the feet of the black man, right? Because his life is a byproduct, a reactionary byproduct of things that have been placed before him. Um, research also suggests that black males are more likely than any other ethnicity to be single fathers. So yeah, I do we know some single. I that. do know friends who have raised their kids on their own. Yeah. Research also suggests that black men, more than any other ethnicity, are more likely to father kids that ain't even theirs. Right? That's mm-hmm. to be celebrated. That's also in the statistic. But they don't they don't talk about those things. Right? Which means that black men do see value in being the patriarchs of a unit. Right. If you talk to black men a lot of the time, especially when they're incarcerated and you ask them the thing that motivates or keeps them going, they often reference their kids. And how did you get there? Well, I was trying I was trying to provide for my kids mm-hmm. you know like and it's it said so much now that it almost becomes the script when you talk to somebody who's incarcerated and it goes mm-hmm. in one year and out the other right it's as if it's the con of all cons like just what you say when you get in here and they understand but the truth of the matter is <laughs> you know uh-huh. that's what happens yeah. I don't, I, you know, very rarely do I come across men who don't want to provide in some shape, form, or fashion. Yeah. Whether they're selling drugs or they're working a legitimate job, they're trying to provide for someone or something in some shape, form, or fashion. And which is, which means there are not enough opportunities out there for the black man. And research Speaking suggests that also, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it's, it's not we are working at rebrand to recontextualize a lot of the uh, monuments the, the memory monuments that are out there about who we are i can't do away with it because then it doesn't give me an opportunity to insert the truth right so i need you to keep the monument and then allow me to recontextualize what it actually means that's how we create the change definitely i mean i i like how you touched on about how we're selling uh, we're someone selling drugs and have the, the air quotes about having a legitimate job. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it takes me to thinking about um, the cannabis industry. This is something For that sure. I, I fight with people all, on all the time about how it's booming now in states that it's legal. But yeah. so many black men and women are in jail for selling it or using it. And we are not the face of the industry. No. That is that is legal in some form. Yeah. And how they they're felons because it is it is still illegal federally so when they come out they've learned so much about the business that could probably excel at it but now we for can't sure. get into the business because the system has held us back for sure and it always gets under my skin when i'm sitting here looking at uh this white woman who represents soccer mom and she's selling me the exact same weed that my homeboy is locked up for Exactly, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, I, I know he's an expert, 
but it's, it's the appearance like it, it's about yeah. who's selling it right and oh man it, like it, it still makes me feel some type of way it, it makes me feel some type of way too when i look at at the industry when i'm watching documentaries yeah and i'm seeing everyone else but the people who actually you know taught them correct about the the plant about about the cannabis plant and about what you know what it's here for what it what what it can do for you and my people are locked up for it correct and these people over here are making millions correct and fighting for it to be federally legal and it's okay for them to do it but it's not okay for like you said my homeboy my cousin uncle whoever in jail or has been locked up for it 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 blows my mind about how many things black people have created and and native americans are sitting back there saying see i told you (laughs) been there done that like okay tobacco Uh, (laughs) oh exactly exactly (laughs) Exactly. farming um what do we I think we can name a list of things that Native Americans and Black people have done for this country and we get no credit for. Stop lying. At all. Um, (laughs) At all. um, I mean, uh, slang. Half the slang comes from Black and Brown LGBT. Correct. Correct. Slay, sis, yes, honey. All of it. Yes. They got a whole nother dictionary so they can try to break it down. Ebonics, like, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we can, I think we could sit on here forever and go through what we have to continue to do to rebrand the black man. Um, kind of make me want to think about rebranding the black woman because is anybody yeah. doing that too? Because I think it goes hand in hand that we need to help each other. For sure. We bring sure. our community together um, and uplift each other and and, yeah. and stop all the negativity. And we um, did that at Rebrand a Black Man. We uh, It's on IG now. It's called Celebrating Queens at Work. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's kind of like the, the sister page and the sister cousin to Rebrand a Black Man based on feedback from people who follow us. And what we do is we literally, we post images of Black women of varying types. And it's not just about them uh, uh, being, you know, with the least amount of clothes on. And it's not mm-hmm. about, you know, this this idea of the video fixing. Like, we appreciate it all. However, Black women are, like, they represent so much beauty. Mm. And the uh, picture is worth a thousand words. And so, like, we plaster it all. And no, she doesn't have to be a doctor to have value. We appreciate the doctor. But we also appreciate the teacher. And we also appreciate the the freeze cup lady who's out there just to put a smile on the face. We appreciate the crossing guards and all of that. But we show them all in their beauty and their natural hair and their weave and their eyelashes. If they don't have eyelashes, if they don't have any hair at all, we're showing all of it because that's what it means to be black. We are diverse. We are very diverse. We are life. Yes, we are life. (laughs) Yes. We are life. You don't get life without us. Your life becomes very complicated if you remove me. Right? I, I have it. just as much right to be here as the trees that are rooted in the ground and the river that flows across the earth. Mm-hmm. I have my right to be here. And the black woman. That, can, we, can we quote <laughs> that? I love that. Yes, yes. And I can't get here without you. 
you are the gateway to all things beautiful. Right. So if I am a king, you must be something really special because you birthed the king. That's right. You come from black women. Exactly. So love us and we love you back. Exactly. She yes. is the closest thing to, to, to what they have written about God. So Amen. I celebrate that. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for coming on here and sharing your journey and your thoughts with us today. Thank you. Thank can you. you pl- yes. Can you please give my audience information on how they can follow you, how they can get in contact with you? Yeah, they can follow us at rebrandtheblackman.com, um, on IG at rebrandtheblackman, Facebook, Twitter, rebrandtheblackman. Um, you know, uh, if you have any feedback or if you want us to come out or we can connect you to someone in your area through our connections, mm-hmm. just leave a message on the website and we'll go from there. Be sure to go out and support our movement. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, a little bit. He's trying to be on the beach, people. <laughs> if you're just listening, when you can see it, it says, what does it say? It can, says, can I live? Can I live? Hey. You know? And so, uh, you know. Can we all I, live? Yeah, our, our, our apparel on there is not about fashion. It's just a means to get out the message and support the movement and let everybody know that we have a voice, right? Yeah. So we're not just about getting people's attention and not having something to say. We get your attention and then we want to take action steps. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. And audience, I want to thank you again for listening to this episode of Tea Time with Monica Please check out Rebrand the Black Man and what Dr. Webb is doing. Again, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you, Monica. You've been listening to Tea Time with Monica. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast medium. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And follow me on social media at Monica underscore the curvy diva spelled m-o-n-i-c-a underscore t-h-e-k-u-r-v-y-d-i-v-a and at tea time with monica